This program's about the impossible. There's a good chance that you believe in the impossible. In 1967, Dr. George Wald won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Dr. Wald said, When it comes to the origin of life, there are two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago, but that led us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. This Nobel Prize-winning scientist rejected the science that God had to be the creator of life, the only possible explanation for you. Me, I'm a Christian because I don't believe in the impossible. Stay tuned and let's explore the universe as it really is. I'm Paul and this is C-Y-K-I-A-E. Who has a right to adopt a child? Is it married heterosexual couples? Unmarried heterosexual couples? Same-sex married couples? Same-sex unmarried couples? Individuals, whatever gender they identify as? Well, the answer's surprisingly simple. No adults have the right to adopt a child that they're not biologically related to. The proper question to ask is is whether the child should be adopted out to the applicants seeking the adoption. And those adults have to jump through a lot of hoops to satisfy the people responsible for allowing that child to be adopted to decide if those adults are suitable parents. The harm caused to a child from the loss of parents is universally acknowledged. I think I can easily prove that to you by reminding you of what happened along the American-Mexican border in 2018 and giving you some information you won't know unless you were living in America at the time. In 2018, there was a massive crisis with illegal immigrants crossing the southern border of the United States and Mexico. It was US government policy at the time to separate children crossing the border from their parents. That really riled up the U.S. mental health professionals, 13,000 of them, signed a petition called Petition from Mental Health Professionals, Stop Border Separation of Children from Parents. The petition read in part, to pretend that separated children do not grow up with the shrapnel of this traumatic experience embedded in their minds is to disregard everything we know about child development, the brain and trauma We're talking about children who were separated from their parents for what would be a relatively short period of time, not for the rest of their lives, like may happen to children who are adopted, even for the ones lucky enough to have some biological parents who keep in touch. The separation is effectively permanent and for most of the time. The American Academy of Pediatrics also condemned the policy of family separations at the border in a statement that it issued on 8 May 
2018. The statement read, Separating children from their parents contradicts everything we stand for as paediatricians, protecting and promoting children's health. In fact, highly stressful experiences like family separation can cause irreparable harm, disrupting a child's brain architecture and affecting his or her short and long-term health. This type of prolonged exposure to serious stress, known as toxic stress, can carry lifelong consequences for children. These two communications screamed the obvious, that families belong together. Child-centric adoptions put the best interests of the child above the adults longing for a child or children. Adoption agencies operating under a child-centric philosophy aren't afraid to prioritise heterosexual couples, because they acknowledge the fact that the crucial dual gender influence of mothers and fathers is vital for the healthy and balanced development of a child, and adopted children, even with the best will in the world, are a long way behind the biological children of the parents in coming out okay. I'll be covering this issue of biology and gender in my next program in a lot more detail. A child-centric social worker consciously chooses loving parents, parents who are willing to help their adopted children through their identity struggles, to provide guidance as they struggle to deal with the primal wound that they were given when their biological parents didn't want them. The core goal of child-centric adoption is this, The adoptive parents exist to serve the needs of the child. The child doesn't exist to serve the desires of the adult to have a child. Child-centric adoption seeks to honour the rights of children, acknowledging the fact that no adult has a right to a child, no matter how desperately he or she wants one. The adopted child is not required to take the role of the adult in their relationship with their new parents and provide moral support to them. Katie Faust and Stacey Manning in their book Them Before Us gave an example of the circumstances in which a child was allowed to be adopted by a same-sex couple. They said this, Likewise, after accounting for and weighing all the factors and considering the available adoptive parents, A child-centric agency may find that a home headed by a same-sex couple or a single adult is the best placement for a child. For example, before I became a mother, I travelled overseas to assist with the adoption of an older special-needs child by a heroic lesbian couple. The child had been rejected by several heterosexual couples because of her burdensome medical condition and had little hope of ever being adopted. These two women were willing to shoulder years of surgery and physical therapy so this girl could have a chance at life. Yes, she will be missing the father's love for which she was made. But no heterosexual couple was willing to do the hard thing for this little girl. From a child's rights perspective, the agency made the right placement. The boxes that should be ticked for an ideal adoption are the following. Place the child with relatives of their biological parents whenever possible to preserve those bonds. Favour households with both a mother and a father, 
so the child can experience the very necessary benefits of the very different kinds of love that a mother and a father have to offer, which is vital in the nurturing and successful growth to maturity of the child. Prioritise married couples in order for the child to have a better chance at long-term stability. The overwhelming evidence is that couples just living together will only last for five or so years before breaking up. Seek only mentally, emotionally and physically healthy adoptive parents. Any adopted child is going to have more than enough problems of its own without having parents who have their own serious issues to confront. Ensure adoptive parents are financially well enough off to be able to meet the financial obligations that a parent has to their adopted child, especially where more than one child is adopted because they are brothers and sisters. Perhaps the child has very demanding special needs. With older children, consider the child's wishes and comfort. Prioritise homes able to take on biological brothers and sisters. If you could tick all of those boxes, you'd have what is theoretically the ideal situation for the adopted child. It doesn't mean that it would actually work out that way, but you'd have a good shot at it. Unfortunately, the ideal placement which meets all of these points isn't always available. That's especially the case for older children, special needs children, and more than one child who has a brother or sister with them, or even more than that. The choices for adoption agencies who have parents on their books who are willing to take on such children are very limited, if anyone at all is willing to take on those unusual children. Obviously, it's rare for a biologically connected married mum and dad who meet all the physical, emotional and financial criteria to be available. The requirements for adoption are very strict. But since we don't live in an ideal world, sadly, most parents who are accepted to take on children for adoption won't have satisfied one or more of that checklist. Katie Faust, one of the authors of Them Before Us and her husband, adopted a child from China. And she wrote this about her and her husband's adoption of this child. My son and nearly every other child adopted from China are examples of children who have no chance of placement with biological family members. Because child abandonment is illegal in China. Desperate birth mothers are careful to leave no identifying information when they leave their child in the public square or at the orphanage. In my son's case, placement with extended family was impossible. As such, he was placed with adoptive parents who have no biological connection, but fit the mental, physical and financial criteria to parent. It's not the ideal situation, but it's the best case scenario for children who have no connection to their extended family. However, no matter how loving they are, adoptive parents cannot fully compensate for the loss of the child's biological parents. We aspire to provide our son all the love he was made to receive from his genetic mother and father, but we don't presume we're capable of replacing all he's lost. 
The problems for a child with no information at all about who their parents were and with no chance or way of ever finding out is a classic example of what all adopted children suffer from but is worse in their case. It's called genealogical bewilderment. In 1964, psychologist H.J. Sands coined that term, genealogical bewilderment, to describe the state of confusion and uncertainty in children with little or no knowledge of their biological parents. An experience with which adopted children, especially in the situation that Katie's adopted Chinese son was in, are very familiar. Katie Faust gives details of what had to be done, the hoops they had to jump through, when they adopted their fourth child from China. There were a lot of -of out-of-pocket costs that Katie Faust and her husband had to pay in order to adopt their child from China. This included adoption agency fees to help her and her husband orchestrate the preliminary, active and post-adoption processes and to ensure their adoption complied with international adoption standards. Paying for US government federal background checks paying for U.S. state government background checks, applying for United States citizenship and immigration services, including fingerprinting of everyone in their home who was 18 years or older. Fees had to be paid to China's Central Adoption Authority to meet the costs of the prospective parent evaluation, preparation of their proposed adopted son's adoption file, and verification that he'd in fact been abandoned. She and her husband had to pay a mandatory donation to the orphanage to reimburse it for the ongoing costs of care that their son would receive from then up until the moment of his adoption, pay for visas to China for Katie and her husband, and immigration clearance to bring their adopted son to the US, travel expenses, medical examinations of their son by a Chinese doctor, consular visits and approvals, and two post-placement reports. Katie and her husband were also required to pay for a study by the adoption agency of their home, which included several visits to their home, personal references from people who knew them and could vouch for what kind of people they were, examination of their financial records, physical examinations of Katie and her husband to determine their state of health, a letter from a paediatrician confirming the general health and well-being of their biological children, evaluation by the adoption agency of the support available to Katie and her husband from their community, evaluation of Katie and her husband's understanding of adoption, particularly the issues of genealogical bewilderment and identity crisis that the adopted child would inevitably suffer, Evaluation of Katie and her husband's readiness to adopt. A reluctant husband might prove a problem. Observation of how Katie and her husband parented their other children. Katie said that she was supportive and in favour of all of the hoops that she and her husband had to jump through to have the adoption approved. Not taking all of those steps would put a child at risk, which would be failing the child that was going to be adopted out to strangers. Katie reminds us again that in adoption, children are the client. What happens about buying a baby using surrogate mothers, 
someone else's eggs or sperm. That's a very different story. None of what happens in having an adoption application approved for the child is what happens when people are buying babies through, we'll call it Big Fertility, who organise surrogates buying eggs and sperms from third-party sellers. I'll look at all of this in more detail in a later program, but I'll give you a quick glimpse of what happens in this sector of adults buying babies. In this industry, children are the product, and the client is the adult, a reversal of what happens in adoption. The big fertility industry operates under principles, and that is definitely not the appropriate word, which are the exact opposite of the principles of the child-centred adoption area. Big fertility's purpose is to make money, big money, and to achieve that outcome it exists to provide any adult, for a fee, with a baby, no matter the cost to everyone involved in that process. Third-party reproduction creates a market where the adults have a right to a child. After all, they're paying to bring one into existence. Which of the following attributes of a new client are investigated by big fertility before they accept a client as someone they will make a baby to sell on to? Marital status? Gender? Financial stability? Emotional preparedness to parent. Physical ability to parent. Criminal record. History of mental illness. None of the above. If you guessed none of the above, you were a winner. Big Fertility is doing business virtually regulation free. It exists to deliver its products, babies, to anyone, literally anyone, who can pay. In adoption, the entities that get paid are entities responsible for ensuring the safety of the baby when it arrives at its final destination. Big fertility is making money from the process of generating a baby for its buyers. And it's also making money for the people who traffic in sperm, eggs and wombs for hire. There are no donors in the charitable sense of the word in this process at any time everyone's getting paid. Big fertility is big business, and money is all that matters. Everyone involved with big fertility is either selling or buying. The only clearance required for clients of big fertility is of their check that they wrote when they were buying their baby, the product. The people who will become the parents of a baby that they've bought don't undergo home studies, FBI or other police checks, physical examinations or psychological evaluations. Once Big Fertility has delivered their product, the baby, its rolls over. They move on to the next customer. There's no requirement for it to track or follow up on the babies it created and delivered to its customer. One thing we know for certain, Big Fertility is culpable for providing children to plenty of adults who would never pass an adoption screening. It's the dark way to obtain a baby. More of that in a future program. Next, why having a mum and dad in the family really matters, as the science proves. Of course, today, science is optional. If it helps your cause, you follow the science. If it doesn't, you don't give it a second thought. 
Thanks for listening into this program, CYKIAE. If you missed it, you can catch up with it as a podcast on my CYKIAE, Spotify, Apple, Google, and many other podcast sites. Just look at my program details on Cairns FM 89.1 for clickable links. I'm Paul. Don't miss my next program because you're going to love it. I want to thank my ghostwriter, without whom this program would definitely not have been possible, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could catch up with me at my church, the Gafcon Northern Hope Anglican Church at the Cairns and District Junior Estedford Hall, 67 Greenslopes Street, Edge Hill, some Sunday at 9am. If you liked this program, you should definitely listen in to my other explosive program, The Danger Zone, also available as a podcast on those same sites. Search Danger Zone, bracket, DZ, close brackets.